Well, let me say this. That's too loud. Let me say something else. Now, this is no reflection on Pastor Whalen who preached last week because I love him to death. But the bottom line is, when somebody sings up here, if you want to clap when they're done singing, you can clap. You know, I have never understood that. Didn't they read in the Bible where the Bible says the trees clap their hands when Christ comes back? Now, what, what's the deal here? I mean, if trees will clap their hands, trees don't even have hands. Now, they got, they got limbs, but they don't have hands. Now, if a tree can clap its hands when the Lord comes back, you ought to be able to clap your hands when somebody does something for the Lord. Now, I don't care. What is wrong with people today? Well, I'm going to tell you what's wrong with them. Open your Bible. Now that you brought that up, let me tell it to you. Oh, I like this place. This place is great. This place is great. Now, let me just say this. If you want to wear slacks coming to this church, you wear slacks. I know there's people out there saying, well, you only have to... Now, that's something else. You know why they don't want you to wear slacks to church? You know why they don't want you to wear slacks to church? They say out of the Bible that you're wearing a man's clothes. Now, no, no, that's what they say, Jan. Now, let me just tell you something. Now, think this through. What is wrong with this picture? In the Bible, every man wore a short little type skirt. So if you have a dress on today, according to the Bible, you have on a man's clothes. Now, that's insane. Now, I take it for granted you know how to dress. You know your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which you have of God. Hey, I don't want you feeling that kind of pressure. Now, from time to time, somebody may come in and, and, uh, and, you know, and say something to you or say something in a message. Just smile, say praise the Lord, and go out and buy yourself a pair of slacks someplace. It's, <laughs> it is not an issue. I'm telling you what, there's more things in Christianity to deal with than that. And uh, I, I just want you to know up front where we're at with this thing, and I figured you probably did. I mean, I think you ought to look nice, and if you want to wear a dress, I, I like my wife wearing a dress. If you like to wear a dress, that's fine. But I don't want anybody seeing somebody else over here saying, well, that's the way I should be. That's the way. I mean, you know, use your common sense. Obviously, spandex is not acceptable, okay? <laughs> you know that. So, there you are. All right, I feel better about that now. Nehemiah chapter 3. Nehemiah chapter 3. Now, as you know, we have been talking here in Nehemiah about how to build a church. And the book of Nehemiah is a book that is in the Old Testament that talks about the nation of Israel and the disarray therein. And how that Nehemiah goes down through there and he sees the destruction that's happened to Jerusalem, all the carnage, all the desolation and everything... And Jerusalem is in a mess. And all the gates are off their hinges and laying aside and the rubble is everywhere. And he begins to rebuild Jerusalem. He begins to rebuild all of the things and put those gates back on the, the walls. Now those gates represent, represent opportunities of service. People had to go through those gates to get into the city. The wall, and they rebuild the wall... The wall represents you and me. That represents the people in this church. Because the wall was only as strong as the individual bricks. Those bricks were overlaid. In other words, they kind of hung on to each other. 
And in that, that was their strength. Any chain is only as strong as its weakest link. Any wall will be only as strong as its weakest block. And any church will only be as strong as the weakest people that are in it. And that's why our job, your job, as a, as a New Testament local church, is to take people, to train them in the Word of God, to love them, to help them get to the place where they become profitable unto the Lord. So there's nine gates here, and these nine gates represent what this church, the Old Paths Baptist Church, needs to have in it as people flow in and flow out that they get what God wants them to have. It's an incredible study. One that just reading the Old Testament book of Nehemiah, you'd never put it all together. But when you start to compare the New Testament principles and you look at the typology and you see how the Bible, everything in the Old Testament, every story is a, is a New Testament principle about something revealed in a, in a basic childlike form, you begin to see it. Now we talked about, first of all, a couple of weeks ago we talked about the sheep gate. We talked about how that the first thing this church needs to understand is the concept of sacrifice. We talked about the second week, the fish gate, and how that that is the aspect that this church needs to be a soul-winning church. This church needs to be a church that wins people to Christ, proclaims the gospel, and uh, puts out the Word of God and sees people come to Christ. Now today, I want to begin reading down here in chapter 3, verse 6, and uh, we're going to talk about the old gate. Now, Father... We thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. We ask you to bless our time in your word today. We'll give you all the honor and praise in Jesus' name. For a sake we ask it. Amen. He says in verse 6, Moreover, the old gate repaired Jehodiah, the son of Persei, and Meshulam, the son of Besodiah, and laid up the beams thereof, and set up the doors thereof, and the locks thereof, and the bars thereof. Now, the bars that he's talking about are the steel kind, not the drinking kind. There was no, wasn't those kind of bars they set up. But keep it straight here. You know, people will do anything with the Word of God today. The old gate. Now, the old gate represents for you and for me the history and the heritage that God wants us to have. It's called the old gate. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 22, verse 28, it tells a warning. Also in Proverbs chapter 23, verse 10. And you can look at it if you want. Most of you are familiar with it. But it was given a warning not to remove the ancient landmarks. And it says if they remove the ancient landmarks, you'll, you'll enter into the fields of the fatherless. So the warning is, remove not the ancient landmarks, neither enter into the fields of the fatherless. Now the fields of the fatherless uh, are you and I not knowing where we come from. If you were an orphan, and from the time you were a baby... Your mother, uh, you know, puts you on a doorstep someplace, God forbid, and you grew up not knowing your parents, not knowing your mother, not knowing your father, not knowing where you came from, just knowing that you... That is a traumatic time for somebody. Because roots are important. We need to be able to look back and see and understand where we came from. It's incredible how that uh, somebody going through that uh, will uh, experience all kinds of trauma and spend their whole life trying to search to find a mother who didn't care about them, a father who didn't care about them. Why? Because it is important for us to have our roots. Now, in the Bible, God gives us two things. And they're both connected with the old gate and they're both connected where we've come one. The first thing God gives us is history. The second thing God gives us is a heritage. Now, history and heritage are connected with the old gate. History defined from the Bible standpoint, 
History defined is from the Bible standpoint is where you've come from. You need to know where your roots are. You need to know where you have come from. Heritage in the Bible is defined by what God has done for you along the way. Those two attitudes, those two concepts are a must for every believer. They're a must for every church. The Bible says in Proverbs chapter 29, verse 18, uh, where no vision is, the people perish. Churches have to have a vision. People have to have a vision. There's no purpose for us to meet together on Sunday morning if we don't know where we're going and what we're doing. Now, how do you know where you're going? You only know where you're going from where you have been. And you only know where you have... You, when you know where you've been and you know where you're going, it's no problem to find out where you are at. But we are living in a day and age in Christianity that God's people don't know where they come from, they don't know where they're going, and they certainly do not know where they're at. Yet, churches are filled today. For what purpose? I'm not sure. They go through their song service, they go through their, their announcements, much like we did, they go through their message, people leave and they go right back to their lifestyles, right back to the things out there, and with no purpose, no vision, no understanding, and no goals for themselves in their lives. It's no wonder that Christianity is in such a mess. And what is missing today, and what we must have in this church, is the concept of the old gate. We must understand where we've come from. We must understand uh, where we are at and, and never forget what God has done. I think the greatest example of that in the Bible, in the Old Testament, is the nation of Israel. How many times do you find where God tells them to remember? Over and over and over He says to them, Don't forget. Remember. Remember what I did. Remember. Don't forget when you were here. Don't forget this. Don't forget that. Remember. Remember. Because the hardest thing for you and for me to do as a Christian is to remember what God has done for you. Somebody said one time early on in my uh, ministry, he told me something I never forgot. And he was talking about people. And he said, you know what? He says, people in, in your church... Don't remember what you did for them yesterday. All they want to know is what can you do for me today. And you know what? We are the same way with God. We are. That is a trait of human nature that doesn't stop with a pastor. <clears throat> it goes all the way down to our relationship with God. It takes a very rare individual to get past the a part in our life where we are looking at what God has done and we remember what God has done because that will get you through whatever you're going through today. Faith. How many times I've heard a definition of faith? Well, blind faith. You're just accepting that by faith. Faith in the Bible, true biblical faith is never just accepting something God said without any, uh, any proof of anything. Faith only works because you have a history of God coming through for you behind you you have, you have a, a daily uh, portion of God in your life today, and you look back in the years, 20 years from now, God has never failed me. He's not going to fail me tomorrow. That's faith. Faith is built on what God has done, where God is at with you now, that you can face what God is going to do tomorrow. Past, present, and future. And a vision is for this church and for God's people is looking back and seeing and understanding what God has done, recognizing where you're at now, and recognizing where you are going. 
And that's what's wrong in Christianity. That's what's missing. I look at the nation of Israel. How many times, as I stated, God told them, remember. I look back in the, in the first five books of the Bible. In Exodus, God gives them the law. And Moses is up there on Mount Sinai and he gives him the Ten Commandments and the law of God. You know what he does in Deuteronomy? Deuteronomy, you know what it means? It means Deutero. It means second giving. You know what he had to do in Deuteronomy? He had to give him the law again. Because they didn't hold it true to when God gave it to them. When you go through Exodus, Deuteronomy, and all those first five books of the Bible, you see the great miracles of God that God is doing. And when you come into Joshua and they've got to go into the land, they're afraid. And God has to do the exact almost same miracles in Joshua that He did in the Old Testament up to that point. Why? Because the children of Israel left no heritage for their children of what God did on the wilderness journey for 40 years. And that's what's wrong in Christianity. Just as Israel moved into the fields of the fatherless, and that's where they're at today, no history, no heritage. So has New Testament Christianity. You know, I, over the last, I don't know, ten years, I saw a striking thing happen. And I somewhat understand it, but from my standpoint from the Bible, I don't understand it. You know what I found? I found men who believe the Bible, who preach the Word of God, suddenly want to take the name Baptist off their churches. Now, I see that all the time. Now, I'll be the first to tell you that there's some real idiots out there that call themselves Baptists. I'm not going to deny that. But what the problem is, is there are, in history, there is a heritage with Baptists, there is a history of Baptists that I want my kids to know about. I, I, and I know today you've got the Baptists are kind of split up into, into two groups, uh, really three groups, but the one group is very small. You have the idiots on this side who are so legalistic that they, you can't do anything. You have them on the other side that are so uh, open that they're letting all the world come in and then you have a very small few in the middle that walk that balance that's where this church is going to be that understand the distinctives of being a Baptist and realize that as a church and as a mom and a dad and a family you cannot lose the Baptist distinctives that have been there down through history without it affecting your family and your relationship with God and destroying your church. Amen. When you have no history and you have no heritage, this church, as many churches, enter into the fields of the fatherless. Your children will enter into the fields. They'll grow up not knowing. I mean, they'll go to church with you because you make them. Or after a while, they won't go to church with you. But they'll grow up not understanding the great truth that you and I need to never forget that somebody paid a price for you and me to be here today and preaching the Word of God. Somebody paid a price. You know what the tragedy is? Most of God's people don't know who they are. We take it for granted. You ever see, you know how to spoil your kids to the place that they're ruined? I, one simple concept. If you want to ruin your kids and you want to spoil your kids to the place where they're rotten, let them grow up and give them things. You don't have to give them everything. Just give them the normal things in life, but never teach them what it costs for them to have it. 
They will grow up thinking that the, everything in life is free. They will grow up thinking that you owe them a living, the world owes them a living, and they will turn out absolutely rotten thinking that they'll never have a, a concept of, of, of what it costs to have something in life. And it's a tragedy. And you know what? God's people in Christianity are the same way. They have been spoiled. They have been spoiled. They have been given everything. I mean, you go to churches now, you don't even have to take your Bible anymore. I mean, you don't even have to open up a hymnal. Everything is there for you. You can have everything you want. It's like a smorgasbord that everything you want is right there if you want to take it. But there's no price tag on it. Nobody stands up and says, Hey, look, somebody paid a price for you and I to be here today to understand what God is doing. I remember, I like to watch uh, shows on television that ask people questions about history, life, or whatever. And I, I, I watch them all the time where they'll put them on, you know, I, and I, it's amazing to me that there's people out there, I saw this one one time, but they asked them about uh, uh, who was Mussolini. And this person was probably born in the 60s. They had no idea who Mussolini was. I even heard one didn't know who Hitler was. But what happens is, as we move on in life, the school system doesn't give any reference of history, and we grow up to the place in a secular world where all we know is what's around us. And we don't understand the price that was paid. Let me tell you something. Now, I'm not knocking this. But right now, we're in a war over there in Iraq that we ain't going to win. And I'm going to tell you why. You heard the young soldiers this week, and my hat's off to them. I, I'm, I'm not criticizing them whatsoever. I, they're, they're heroes in my mind, but what they are are victims of a, of a society in America that has not given them a value system. You see, when CNN was on there and they're watching the tanks roll to Baghdad and the third ID was blowing everybody up and they were wiping people out, it was great to be over there. I mean, newest correspondents were coming around. What's your name, son? Where are you from? Well, I'm from Tobucky, New Kentucky. Well, I go, I say, hi, mom and dad. I'm over here for freedom. Da -da 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 -da. And it was a big thing. But you know what? Now the war has really started. And it's a war we're not going to win. This is like the ants and the elephant story. The elephant's big. He's powerful. And he's mighty. And he can take his trunk and he can pick your car up and throw it a thousand feet. And he can, he can do anything. He can rip bars off. And he's a, he's, he can step on your foot and break your bones in your foot and kill you. He's, he's unbelievable. That's America. The ant. Just a little thing like that. Ant's just a little bug walks around with little pinchers. He likes sugar. But he's very well organized. And the old elephant, he gets into the middle of ants. Millions and millions of ants. Them ants are millions. You know, ants, they have little colonies. They have little radios. They talk back and forth. Little walkie-talkie. They talk back and forth. They're very organized, very skilled. And the elephant, he's in the middle of the battle, and he steps on them, and he kills them by the hundreds of thousands. He can put one foot down and kill 2,000. He's stamping them out all over the place and he's throwing dirt, rocks, and trees on. He's killing them by the millions. In the end, the ants win. Because they overwhelm him and he can't stop them all. 
See, the, the war is a... It's not glamorous anymore. Now the war digs in. Now these poor guys are out there and you can't tell the good guys from the bad guys. Everybody wears a towel, everybody wears a robe, and everybody has an AK-47. Now it's a guerrilla warfare. And that ain't fun. Now we're seeing the resolve of the American young man and young, young woman. Now we see if they really are going to fight what they're believing in or they want to come home. Let me tell you something, the young men on the Bataan death march, they didn't get home, and they walked down that thing 80 miles, some of them carrying their intestines in their hands to go to a Japanese prisoner war camp. Five long years. I mean, I look at a documentary out there on, on uh, it was on this last week on Wake Island, probably don't even know what Wake Island was. After the Jap bombed Pearl Harbor, there's a little atoll out there about 20 miles square called Wake Island, with a marine base, and the Japs hit it the next day. And those poor guys out there, they, they lasted almost, almost, uh, almost six weeks. I mean, they blew the Japs. I mean, the Japs were overwhelming. And, they, and they, 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 they took them on. There wasn't nobody crying to go home. They, they know they were going to be out. They know they were going to be uh, wiped out. Nobody was whining around crying about, well, this, that, and that, and bad mouth in the country and the generals. When they called on the phone and they're almost out and, and, the, and the commanding officer from Hawaii calls the guy on the phone and says, what do you need? What do we need? What do you need? You know what his answer was? He says, send us some more Japs. It's an attitude, boy. He didn't say, you get me out of here, I want to go home. And I'm not making fun. I'm just telling you there's a difference now in our country. You know what that difference is? Back then in 1945, 43, and 42, they had a vision. They knew what America stood for, and there was something to fight for. We don't know what it is today. We don't know today. I'm not blaming the young men over there. I want them to come home too. You say you're against the war? Hey, you know what? If you want to do what's right, you don't even have to go over there. You give every piece of weapon we got to the nation of Israel and let them clean house over there, and then we all go home and be with the Lord, and that would be the way to do it. But that's not politically correct. But I know how to win over there if you really want to win. Give it to the Jews. Let them do it. They'll whip them guys out of there in a week. We can all go to church on Sunday and be over with. That ain't going to happen either. No vision. There's no vision in this country. <clears throat> and it's impacted our young men and young ladies to the place that when the cameras are rolling and CNN is there and uh, uh, you know everybody's over there taking pictures, it's okay. But when it's down to the nitty-gritty where men are dying on street corners and we're losing people in a war, we're not going to win. The only thing that gets you through that is a deep down desire and commitment that you know why you're there and what you're fighting for. It's the same way in Christianity. As long as it's big time and everybody's happy and everybody goes along, it's fine. It's when the nitty-gritty comes that you really got to stand alone for God that you better have the vision of understanding <coughs> what you're in this for. America, politically, <coughs> militarily, <coughs> historically, is right in the middle of the fields of the fatherless. Christianity is the same way. We have lost the Baptist distinctives that really has made us what we are. Just like there's people who don't understand who Mussolini is, they don't understand who Adolf Hitler was, or they understand who the first president... I've had heard kids that didn't know who the first president was. There's Christians today that don't know who George Whitfield was. There's people right now in this city 
that are in churches hearing the Word of God that don't know that the reason they're there is because of a guy by the name of J. Frank Norris. You guys are here because of J. Frank Norris. You're out of that crowd. You don't even know who he was. Most of you. Some of you do. We don't understand that somebody <coughs> paid a price <coughs> for you and I to be here and just like our kids are spoiled because we give them no legacy of what God has done in the family and we don't sit down and show them what God is doing and how God has brought us from and we take Christianity by the same way and we have people come to church, we sing songs about God, we preach messages about God, we do all the things we're supposed to do but people leave with no vision because they do not understand where they come from, where they're at and where they're going and there is no history of God, there is no heritage of God and we're just like the nation of Israel. We're in the fields of the fatherless. We go to church, but for what purpose? You go to work tomorrow, for what purpose? To make a living? To get some money? My goodness, my friend, if there isn't more in the Christian life than that. You notice now that we're out of the kitchen, I'm preaching a little bit harder now. I kept bumping into that stupid refrigerator the other back. I just couldn't get around on you. But you're in trouble now. You're in trouble now. We got, almost, we got over 40 people here today. I dare say it'll be down to 25 probably next week. But, I'm just telling you. You want a church? Here we are. You want me to tell you what you want to hear? Sorry, wrong place. We've got spoiled Christians who don't understand the great concept of what God has done and what has God done in their life and where He brought them from. And they're living their life without understanding the cost. You know, back in Acts chapter 11, <clears throat> and this is not a history lesson this morning, we don't have time to go into all that, but in Acts chapter 11, they're first called Christians. From that point on, you, you, you can go through history and you read about men. Men that God called. Men who laid the foundation for you and for me to be here. You have men who, when... Things were changing. Men who, who, were, who were coming along and, and things were changing, they were starting to say, well, you know what? It wasn't the death on the cross that saves you. You've got to be baptized. Or They were introducing all these heresies and all these heretical concepts. There were men, like, uh, there were men that stood up and they, they had their little congregations and they stood up like I'm preaching to you and they said, that's wrong. We're not going to follow that. And they, they would not be part of the system. And the system got stronger and the system got bigger and the system got more popular. And the, the men would not because they knew what the Bible said. They had a heritage of God. They knew where they came from. And they, they knew what God had done. And there wasn't anybody that was going to change that message that God had given them to preach. So you have the monetists. You have the novations. You have the Nestorians. The Donatists. The Menetians. The Plagiists. All men... And, all groups called by the man that they followed who find in the first 300, 400 years of Christianity called, out, called after a man who stayed on the old path, who wouldn't go the new route, who wouldn't change the great doctrinal truths, who understood the history and the heritage of God, who, who was going to do His best to give His people and the children and the people that were coming down the line a, a, a clear understanding so they would know and have a vision of God in their life. The worst thing for you and for me, for this church, as you as an individual, is to have go out tomorrow, 
go out of here today and not have a vision of what God wants you to do. I understand that down through history the method changes. I realize that most Baptists are so... We, we yell at everybody else for being traditionalists. But let me tell you something. The most traditionalist people in your world are Baptists. And I know Baptists are idiots. For the most part, I know they are. I've been a Baptist all my life. But I'm going to tell you something. It has nothing to do with the true line uh, that, that stand by the Baptist distinctives that are the fundamental foundations of the Word of God that have not changed in over 1,500 years. I know the method changes. I know most Baptists can't deal with change. They don't change the methods. But the method has to change. There's Baptist churches out there that if we don't have a, a Sunday night service at some point in time, we're going to think we're apostate. Well, you know what? I ain't nothing in the Bible about a Sunday night service. We may have one, we may not. We may have it over at your house. We may do something different. In other words, we're going to do what works. We're not going to just cookie-cut ourselves and say, okay, you're a Baptist. This is what you're supposed to do. I already told you you didn't have to wear dresses. All Baptist ladies have to wear dresses. I already told you you could clap. All Baptists can't clap. Well, in the Bible, they clapped. I don't know what to tell you. You only like you to say amen. I mean, I like you to say amen, but you know what? You can't find one place in the Bible where you're ever told to say Amen. I'll show you a place in the Bible where it says clap your hands. Why do you do that? Well, I don't care what we do with it, but I'm going to tell you this. We're not going to be a cookie-cutter Baptist church. Amen. We're going to do what works. Somebody says, what you, what do you, where's your Wednesday night? Where do you have Wednesday night? We don't have Wednesday night service. Oh, you don't? Well, you can't be. No, we have a Thursday night Bible study. Well, you've got to have it on Wednesday. What do you do on Wednesday night? Oh, I, I watch uh, Fox News a lot and walk the dogs. <laughs> hit the ball for Tinker, and she runs down and gets it and brings it back. I mean, you know, I mean, I do things like that on Wednesday night. Oh, well, we've got to be in church on Wednesday night. Well, I mean, where is that in the Bible? You know what? We're going to cut this thing for what works for your life. Not get some kind of procedure here that is baptistic, and this is the way it's supposed to be, and then fit everybody into it. This has to work for you. You and your family and your wife and your husband is the most important thing to get the Word of God in your life the way that it works. Not the way that it has done and down through history. Well, let me tell you something. In the New Testament, the book of Acts, they didn't even meet in buildings. They meet in homes. In the New Testament, somebody asked me already, well, you have a choir? Yeah, they're just, we have a singing flea choir that is so small you can't see them up here. I, you know what? Let me just tell you something. We'll probably never have a choir. You know why? Yeah, we will. You are the choir. You are the choir. You are the choir. I'm not against choirs. You know, you want to wear a robe for, and you sit in there and sing in the choir? Fine. I have no problem. But I am not going to get caught up in a bunch of things that have nothing to do with the Bible. If you, if we do it fine, if we don't do it fine. That the Bible is very clear on the things that we need to do. And I'll tell you one of them we need to do. You need to understand the old gate. You need to understand the old gate. So those early groups up to around three or 400, they're called by a man who they followed in the face of, of apostasy coming to creep in. 
when you get into the 500s up through the dark ages to around 1500, <coughs> those groups are called Hussites. They're called Bogomiles out of Czechoslovakia. They're called Yugonauts out of Germany. They're called Albigensians in South France. They're called the Waldensians in northern France. They're called the Lourdes in North Italy, the Lombards in southern Italy. And in South France, they're called the Catherii. Now, I want you to see something here. Christianity starts really in Acts chapter 11 where they're first called Christians. And in the first 400 years or so, as things begin to move out and grow, uh, we see that the, uh, they're called by small groups or called by men who are leading those groups. Maybe churches, maybe Bible studies, I don't know. But they're small groups and they're called after the man they're following. In the next, after the time, 500 A.D., and it moves on from there, Christianity has gotten, people gotten saved all over Europe. And now they cannot call them by a man's name anymore. They have to call them by the geographical location of whatever country they're in because they're so big. So they're called Bogomiles from Czechoslovakia, Albigensians in France, Waldensians in France, the, the Lombards in Italy. Now they're called by a geographical location. And for that thousand years, Christianity is spreading and there's men who are preaching and teaching exactly what I'm giving you today out of the Bible even though they're called by these groups. Now, by 1600, it's all across Europe. It's everywhere. And two lines have clearly formed, which we don't have time to get into this morning. And now they're not called by a man that they're followed. They're not even called by a, by a geographical location. These people now who have all merged together and gotten so big that they're standing by the Word of God are in a tremendous bitter battle with the other side. And now they're called by the doctrine that they stand for. And they're called Anabaptists. Which means against the baptism or a literal translation would be again to be baptized. You know what the issue is? It's doctrinal. Now an organization has come up and said, you've got to be baptized when you're a baby and you've got to be sprinkled. And here's a group that says, no, you don't. The Bible says that you're baptized as an adult once you're saved and you're immersed. And they said, oh, you're saying you've got to say you've got to be again baptized? Yes, that's right. Well, you're Anabaptist, aren't you? And in time, it got so big that they called them Baptist. I don't have time to go into all of the history of it. I'm just trying to give you an understanding of the old gate. But Baptists down through history, Anabaptists, the Bogomiles, the Waldensians, the Lollards, the Lombards, the Catharia, the Albigensians, the Donatists, the Novatians, the, the, the Manichians, they all had six or seven things that they all believed, no matter what you called them. They all believed, first of all, that you're saved alone by the blood of Christ. That nothing else in this world can save you except Christ's death on the cross and His shedding of the blood that would save you. Second of all, they believed that there was only two ordinances given to the church. One of them was baptism. The other one was the Lord's Supper. The third thing they believed, that baptism was only for adults after they were saved. The fourth thing they would believe it was by immersion. You'd go down in the water and come out of the water. Baptism pictures the death, burial, and resurrection. Buried in the likeness of His death, raised in the likeness of His resurrection. Somebody said, well, we... Throw water in your face. Well, when you die, we'll throw dirt in your face. 
You never bury anybody that way. You bury them by putting them down. It's a picture of Christ dying. You put them down. You bring them up. And the fifth thing they believe, they believe that the King James Bible was the absolute perfect Word of God. Because back then there was only two Bibles. One of them was Rome's and the other one was theirs. And that's this one here. You say, it's awfully complicated today. No, no, it's not. They just made it complicated. It's simpler now than it ever was before. And the sixth thing they believed was a separation of church and state. Now you get that all screwed up today because they say, well, you know, you can't do this, you can't do that. Separation of church and state was simply this. Baptists saw what was going on in England, going on in France, going on in Germany, and that is that religions were coming over and they were state-run religions. They were tied to the states, the Lutherans, the Catholics. They were, they were church-state religions. In other words, when you were born into this state or this country, that's the religion you were. It was a state religion. And they said, that's wrong. The Bible doesn't teach that. It had nothing to do with, well, you know, you can't teach evolution. That's, that's a bunch of junk because people want to deny God don't know where they're at. It had nothing to do with what was taught. It had to do with the fact that a country was set up, the king was a certain religion, and he said, everybody born in this country is that religion. And church-state religion. Everybody's Catholic. Everybody's Buddhist. Everybody's this. Everybody's that. You have no choice. And they said, no, God gives us a choice. We're not that. We want to follow the Bible. We don't want to follow tradition. And that's where all the, that's where all the stuff came in. That's where all the problems came. And they believed that the Bible was the final authority for all things in faith and practice. The old gate. In time, as we grow, in time, as we have people that we, we deal with, and things that uh, we, all these things, we're going to teach you. These are the things that your kids need to know. I know that kids like baseball cards, and I know they like this, and I like that, and they watch to watch TV, and they have their favorite singers and entertainers and all that. And I'm not saying that. I grew up my hero with John Wayne, Audie Murphy. I understand. How many know who Audie Murphy is? Well, pretty good. You're ahead of the game. <clears throat> but the real heroes, my friend, are the ones that paid the price for you to be here today. Those are the real heroes. And I'm just telling you, Old Paz Baptist Church, we never want to forget where we've come from. We never want to forget our history, our heritage. We can't ever afford to let our kids not know what God is doing in our lives. In a lot of ways today, let me tell you something. <clears throat> today, we're a real church. We've got a real building. We got a real deal. And I want to tell you something else. As of today, you got your real pastor. Because God took away my job last week. I don't know what to tell you. I made up my mind that I'd, I'd work. I told God that I would... I told God that I'd put the hours in. I'd, I'd work around the on-call. Because I was on-call. I mean, I, I, I used to sweat it out. They, I, had, I paid some gal $100 to cover my on-call so I could preach to you on Sunday. Because I could get called out. At, and you know the devil's going to call me out. And I'd have to drive 100 miles down south someplace to mark out some line for somebody and miss church. I had to struggle with all that. And I told God, I will do whatever I have to do. And I had the most positive attitude my wife knows. 
Every night I went home and I said, I'm, I'm going to make this work. I'm going to do it. I, I, it's fine. I'm not going to complain about it. I'm going to do this thing. And you know what? God said, no, you're not. In the last month, God put me in the most impossible situation I could ever be in in my life. And come Friday, God shut the door. And I tell you, it's a step of faith for us. Losing your income. But I know this. I know that, I know that God didn't bring us to this point to leave us hanging. And now, I, 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 the, I mean, I, the, God will bring the people to make them, to bring them in to do what's got to be done. You know what I'm happy about? I'll tell you what I'm happy about. Jan, I'm happy I can be at that funeral. Because if I had that job, I couldn't be there. You know what I'm happy about? I'm happy about I don't have to worry about being on call for your wedding. That when we have that wedding, somebody called me with a broken water main down in Podunk, Kansas someplace. Because I was going to leave it go. I was going to come and do your wedding and let them drown down in Podunk, Kansas. I don't care. <laughs> You're my people. I felt as worse as I could feel that I couldn't be there at the hospital that day when you had your surgery done. I wanted to be. I hated calling you on the phone and just saying, telling you, I wanted to be there. Well, from now on, I will be. I will be. I was worried about, where's Christian at? Where's, where are you at? Where's Christian? And Emma? I was worried about your wedding. But I'll just do the same thing. Let them drown. I, I didn't know what else to do. I, 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 honest to God, my wife knows. And, and, and my wife, she is the spiritual genius in my, in my life. I come home, you know, I called her on the phone. I called Jason. I had to talk to him. I had a family meeting and told my family. They stood by me 100%. I, I, I just, I was just, you know, I just caught in the middle of things. And I told my wife, I said, well, I said, what I'll do is I'll just, you know, church can pay me so much and I'll just go out and get another job someplace and I'll start looking and, and we'll be okay. She says, no, no. She said, you know what? Why don't you learn? She says, God called you the pastor. He took the job away. They're your people. He'll provide pastor. So you know what? Tomorrow, go to work building this church. I have a piece about it that I can't even tell you. I have a piece because of you. I can be there for you. It just tore me up, man. It just tore me up when I couldn't be there for Nancy. And some of you have had other things. And, you know, if I couldn't be there for you, I don't know. I, you know, I'll tell you what. I'd be putting my, you'd, be, you'd be driving down the road and seeing my marks go all over the place, man. I wouldn't be able to keep my mind on it. Because you know why? Because you are my people. I belong to you and you belong to me. And we've got to hang in there together. And that's what it's all about. And I love you. My, and I'll tell you, my wife and my family was, was skittish about doing all this because of what we've come through and all those things. But I want to tell you what, they have never, I've never seen them more happy and more perfect peace with the group that we've got. You are, without a doubt. You know, they said one time, a guy said one time, he said, you know, at the end of life, he said, if you can count your friends, your true friends, on one hand, he said, you're lucky. I'm more than that because I know that everybody in this room is my friend. I know that. We have been through the fire together, and we will go through anything else. And that is a great comfort to me, knowing that even as this, as I stand here today, and I'm so happy about this building, and I'm happy to the fact that I don't have a job anymore, even though I don't, God's going to have to, it's a step of faith. But I'm happy about it, you know why? Because I know 
So the first thing for me is to be your pastor. And that's where we're at. There'll be no more where I don't, I'd have to struggle what I'm going to do, how I'm going to get there to be what I need to be to you. That part of it's solved. So, smile. If you die this week, I'll be there. <laughs> know that. I love you guys. Now, here's what I want to do today. And we're going to start doing this <clears throat> every Sunday, <clears throat> but we'll do it before I preach. But today, I want to wait till now. I want, I want the men to come up and just kneel around this altar. And if you don't feel like coming, it is no mark for your not being spiritual. Please, I know some people. That's not. You can pray right there. But I'm just asking. Come up if you would. And it's it's, it's first of all, let's just ask God and thank Him for the building that He's given us. Let's thank Him for what He's done. Let's just thank Him for what He's done. And I'm going to have just like one or two of you pray, but I want everybody to pray. <clears throat> Let's just thank Him for what He's done. He's done something immensely great. This place is wonderful. And I want, <clears throat> I, want Phil to, I want Phil to lead us. I want Jan to pray second. And then I want Chris Fender to close us out. And you just, you just ask God and thank God for this building and what God's given us. Go ahead. Father, we thank you and praise you for the Lord Jesus. And again, Father, wanted to uh, remember where you brought us from, what we've been through, that so we can always, uh, Lord, put it on the frontlets of our eyes of the children, um, Lord, that they may continue in, in, in building this uh, church that you've begun. Thank you, Lord, for giving Bob the opportunity to pastor uh, as we need the capacity him to be in, and that's full time and and always on call for us now, Lord, as uh, he was before on a secular job. Father, we thank you for the building. We hate, we pray, Lord, that you would show us how we need to use it for uh, for your honor and for your glory and, and how we can expand and be what you want us to be. And Lord, we pray for the needs of the individuals here. Uh, we know that they're there, Lord, that you would help us to uh, band together as a, as a group, as a church, Lord, as we need to be, uh, to be a beacon in this time of confusion and, and, and uh, vastness. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Heavenly Father, as uh, we start this church with your blessing, as, uh, we have a man that uh, has been very gifted by you, Lord, and he's such a leader. He's making so many sacrifices. <clears throat> and just to ask, Lord, that you'll put your arms around him and his family, that uh, we'll start realizing that as we face life, that uh, it's, there's so many things that we look at every day that seem important that really aren't in the long run. If, uh, as we look at death, that uh, things, are, things are things, and that uh, we, we place too much emphasis on it. On things that we would start, Lord, in our hearts that we would uh, gather around Bob and his family and, and uh, be a support to them. And Lord, we ask you that you'll help us, uh, each of us, to look within our ourselves and, and see that things do not mean the, the, the most important things that we would uh, 
try to try to look at, at life as uh, one that will we would worship you and we learn learn about the Bible and, and uh, get away from this uh, of so many of the, the things that uh, people chase the money the jobs the, the cars houses uh, it, it's all so so short lived Lord, I just ask that you be with Bob and his family in, in this time, and we know it's going to be a struggle, Lord. But we know that uh, you you are going to you're going to lead you back with church, Lord. And we thank you in Jesus' name, Lord. Goodbye, Heavenly Father. I want to thank you so much, first of all, for for being our Lord and Savior, Father, and being so good at asking prayer on behalf of Father. I realize that this time, Lord, we've gone through a lot over the last few weeks, Lord, and uh, we didn't know whether, we knew you were in it, Lord, we didn't know where you were going to take us, what you had for us, Lord, and, uh, but even as we sit here and pray at this time, we just see, uh, we just see what you have in mind for us, Lord, we just see how you develop in this, uh, this church, Father, Heavenly Father, and Lord, I want to thank you for all the individuals church members here, all the individual families, Lord, that uh, you've been so good to us all, you, you, you've taken care of our needs through the years, and you've taken care of Bob all through the years, but the church kids, Lord, Jason, Kelly, Dan and Jane, Lord, I just, uh, I just want to thank you and praise you today, Lord, they, they mean so much to all of Lord, I know they, they, they mean uh, a lot to me in my life, and Heavenly Father, I just pray, Lord, that uh, as we start this church down here to Pavilion, Lord, I pray that you'll open up doors of opportunity, Lord, that uh, people from this community might, uh, might flow into this church, Lord. Give us opportunities to, to witness and share the gospel every day, Lord. I pray for opportunities to, uh, to minister to this community, that we're able to build relationships in this community along with building relationships with each other, Lord. That above all, that we'll be a, uh, a close-knit group together, Lord, and, uh, and Lord, we'll still expand our horizons to, to this city and to the world, and the Father's with what you give us. <coughs> and Lord, I don't know, uh, and yeah, I don't know how long we've got, Lord, if we've wrapped this up, Lord, but, but you know, you know the timetable, Father, I just pray that we take advantage of every single moment to get it, Lord, to, to do your work. Amen. It will be worth it all when we see Jesus. Life's trials will seem so small when we see Christ. One glimpse of His dear face, all sorrow will erase. So bravely run the race, till we see Christ. Hey, shake hands with everybody here. Bring somebody to Thursday night Bible study. Bring somebody to church next week. You know where we're at now. I think Thursday night we're meeting down here in another little room, but uh, we'll find us. God bless you. I love you so much. You're dismissed.